Welcome to Rooted by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. My name is Braylon Lashley, and I'm the associate pastor of worship and youth here at First Baptist. And I'm joined by my co-host, and we are both rather uh, struggling because we just ate our weight in Christmas goodies at our staff party. Dr. Andrew Bosak, what's up? It's good to see you, brother. Just had our staff party. Indeed, we are full. We are ready for a nap. And here we are recording a podcast. Listeners know that we are that committed to you, to the podcast, to make this happen. And uh, all of that said, we're uh, excited to be recording and reflecting. And it is indeed the Christmas season. Uh, Love our staff here. God has given us a wonderful team. So grateful to serve with them and uh, just enjoyed celebrating uh, the Savior's birth with them indeed. Absolutely. We had a uh, widespread of goodies and uh, man, I know that we normally don't eat sugar a lot, but the Christmas season is the time where, you know, all bets are off. We just wholeheartedly jump in and uh, it is glorious. A little hiatus for the diet, uh, the holiday hiatus, if you will. So we're jumping in and uh, it's like, it's like my, my body is like, where has this been? You've been depriving me of all of this sugar. It's like getting back to some kind of equilibrium and uh, back, back to the good old days, if you will. But yeah, man, had a great spread, a lot of desserts, had to put a little sampling platter together. It was delightful. Absolutely. Yeah. My body does the same thing. And then it's probably like a day or so into it. And it's like, what have you done to me? <laughs> so, and nonetheless, it's been a joyous time. Looking back on this year has been uh, a, a great uh, fruitful one. It's been one, uh, certainly with a lot of different challenges, but uh, the Lord has been faithful and he has been in the midst of all of it. And so uh, as we are just right in the middle of the Christmas season, we are uh, reflective of what he's done. We're excited to, to worship him. This past Sunday did our drive-through live nativity, which shout out to the, uh, the outreach team. They diligently planned, prepped, executed all of it, got all the volunteers together, and they had set up several different scenes. If you guys haven't seen it or weren't uh, able to come through and drive through on that night, we have that video posted on our Facebook page, so go ahead and check it out. Pretty cool stuff. Your boy was John the Baptist, and uh, I didn't have locusts, but I had like like sour gummies that were kind of in the shape of locusts, so I guess that worked. Anyways, but it was a great time. We had um, several hundred people come through, and uh, what a great opportunity to share the gospel. And then we have another Big event coming up, not this week, but the next week, which is going to be Christmas Eve, uh, that Sunday, the 24th. That night, we're all going to come back at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary, and we're going to do what we have affectionately called carols by candlelight. So, obviously, there will be candles. There'll be carols, and it's going to be a great time of reflection, worshipful remembrance of... Christ coming down, humbling himself in the form of a servant, taking on humanity, and uh, really pushing and remembering the reason for the season without being too cliche. 
So we're really excited about that. And uh, we've got a couple different specials the choir's going to sing. And, uh, oh, Miss Doozy Bosack is going to sing, I Believe. So we're going to sing, oh, uh, Dr. Bosack, start crying a little bit on the front. I will, I'll probably get swaying on that one, get a little teary-eyed for sure. I love to hear her sing. She's very gifted, and uh, I, I love when she um, shares those gifts um, through song. So I'm excited about that. And yeah, man, we have had just a, a blessed December so far. We've been busy, but we've been intentionally busy, and we have really sought to add to the calendar for the Christmas season opportunities for ministry that really do highlight the gospel that are all about Jesus. I mean, that, that really does sound trite, but it's true that it's, it's so easy to celebrate around Jesus. So, so easy to use the occasion of Christ's birth as a reason to get together and not recognize his Lordship. So with the fellowship meal, with the live nativity, even last night with the Christmas caroling where the youth and kids went out Christmas caroling, uh, sharing the gospel through song uh, to those who are in need, did, did a couple of nursing homes and then another facility um, that uh, provides housing for those that are in need. So it was a, a delight to be about that. And we have been busy, but it's been been blessed because we've intentionally put things on the calendar that really do give to our celebration of Jesus by sharing the, the gospel, by emphasizing our unity, by not spiritualizing certain aspects of a cultural Christmas or a secular one, but truly slowing down, celebrating Jesus, highlighting his goodness and his grace and sharing it with others. It's been a delight and a joy and uh, just looking forward to more to come, particularly with carols by candlelight and uh, looking forward to that night, not just for doozy singing, but uh, for so many other reasons, just to, just again, kind of hit the pause button on, um, the busyness and to truly reflect on our Savior King this Christmas season. So we're excited about that and uh, looking forward to a wonderful evening on Christmas Eve. I agree. Sunday, which uh, those sermons have been very uh, beneficial to me, very uplifting, encouraging. They've gone right along with your Advent devotion, which if you have not picked up a copy uh, never fear. The PDF is on the website, the front page, so you can download that right to your cell phone. But it does rather uh, not confound is not the word I'm looking for. Maybe, and I don't want to use the cliche, grind my gears, but it is, it shouldn't be expected to have this elaborate cantata or this huge performance every single year for the sake of performance. If there is a purpose behind it, I'm all for it. No doubt. But if there is an expectation that it has to be bigger and better than last year, it's got to be this ginormous performance and it's devoid of any kind of worshipful response from the congregation, then I don't see merit in that. So anyways, um, what are your thoughts? It, it does kind of go along with some of the 
things that I've been trying to push back against, particularly with the devotional, to celebrate Jesus himself and not just the occasion of his birth, to do the same things that we've always done. We can, I think, even in church and even in a Christian way, make our holiday about the rituals and about the materials. What what do we get? What do we give? And I'm all about gifts, getting gifts. It's blessed to get gifts as well as give them, certainly more blessed to give them, but blessed nonetheless to receive them. But if that's what our holiday is all about, we missed it. But also the ritualism. That's one of the things that I've been mentioning on Sunday mornings that our celebration of Christmas in a ecclesiastical way be an outward expression of what Jesus warned us against in allowing our prayers to devolve into heaping up empty phrases. I think our celebration of the holidays can be an outward expression of just heaping up empty phrases in our minds as we are, quote, praying, but there's no heart behind it. There's no actual communication with God. I'm just saying words because I've always said them. And in the same way, in the worst case scenario, I think our celebration of Christmas can become ritualistic in being that we do the same things every single year. And I'm fine with tradition. I'm fine with doing the same things. But I think there's a danger in that, that those traditions and those um, things that we do every year really have devolved into more ritualism that, look, this is what we've always done. We don't even know why we're doing this. There's not a heart behind it. There's not a motivation to adore Jesus. That's that's what it should be about, adoring our, our king in the present tense, a historical reflection that leads to present tense adoration. And yet we do this stuff in church every Christmas simply because that's what we've always done. And... Uh, one of the ways that we've pushed back against that with the church is we made our nativity, our live nativity, a drive-through to involve more people in the community, to share the gospel in that sense, as opposed to just doing the live nativity, something we've done every year since I've been here, but to change it up, to make it more Christ-centered, to involve more people, to to be more intentional with the outreach. So it's um, it's really some of the uh, schemes, I think, of our enemy, which we're about to talk about, to have our holiday devolve into materialism and ritualism and celebrate around Jesus without celebrating Christ the Lord himself. Agreed. Thanks for that and for um, letting me indulge in my pet peeve. I have another one that we're going to talk about later on as we get deeper into your sermon overview. So one of I think our favorite podcast, certainly my one of my favorite podcasts for the church, they have done different episodes, pet peeves. They've done youth minister pet peeves. They've done music minister pet peeves, which probably have been a couple of my favorites. They're so good, man. But uh, they have pastor pet peeves. They've got all different kinds of church, churchy kind of pet peeves. So we might have to just borrow from them a little bit and... Uh, and you can elaborate on your pet peeves as you see fit. Sounds like a plan. We're going to shift gears now and talk about your sermon from Sunday. As I've said before, uh, it is going along with the day of that devotional that you put out, the Advent devotional. 
the Christmas adventure. So very nice play on words there. But I wonder if you could talk about uh, your sermon from Sunday, which was Jesus's temptation. That is, again, something that uh, a lot of people will read and they'll say, well, what's the big deal about all these things? They seem kind of, you know, lackluster compared to some other temptations that he was faced with. Uh, so I wonder if you could give us a brief overview of what you talked about and then, you know, obviously how it ties into the Christmas season. The whole point of the devotional is to kind of take a different approach, right? Preaching on Matthew 4, Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, dealing with the temptations from the enemy doesn't exactly lend itself to a traditional Christmas preaching calendar. And yet I wanted to... Uh, approach it a different way. It's the whole point of the adventure. And um, I, I hope at least people, if they're not reading the devotional, I hope they are. Um, but if they're not, I hope they're at least familiar with that's kind of the point to push back against a little bit of that ritual, ritualistic approach to the holiday season. Hey, let's, let's look at it a little bit different. Hence the adventure, doing something new, doing something different. And yet, tying it back to some specific themes from the uh, Christmas story itself. So we took Jesus's time in the wilderness and particularly how he was triumphant over Satan in the midst of his temptation and tied it to Galatians 4, 4, which talks about how, how the father sent the son, how the incarnation took place in a, time that is described in Galatians 4, 4 as the fullness of time. That verse starts out, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And it's that fullness of time that we sought to recognize that God still works in the fullness of time. That fullness, that means uh, that it's essentially the perfect time. We don't got to get into the Greek weeds here, but basically we could understand it as when the perfect time came, God sent forth his son. And God still works in that way. There's nothing outside of a sovereign divine purview that catches God off guard. There's no mistakes that he makes. There's, there's no hiccups in the timeline that he has. There's, there's nothing outside of the perfect work of God uh, in the present tense. Now, that can be easy to see looking back. We did a little bit of this on Sunday that we reflected of why. Why practically was it the perfect time for Jesus to come at that moment on a timeline? Why was that the, the moment of fullness, if you will? Well, the roads connected the world like never before that the Roman Empire put together. The pagan polytheism, both the Greek and the Roman pantheon of gods, had turned people off because of the amoralistic pagan uh, depravity of the day. Even the pagans were like, look, this has gone too far, <laughs> essentially. And they were looking for an answer. And the uh, the well-known language, the, the kind of universal language of Greek was so known. So it, was, it really was the, the full moment in time for, for Christ to come. Well, God still works within the scope of a sovereign fullness. Again, it's easy to look back and see, even in our own lives, 
we could probably tell stories of, hey, a few years ago this happened and I was caught off guard and I was really struggling and I didn't understand. But man, looking back, I can see what God was up to back then. But that understanding of God working within the scope of fullness is difficult for us to see in the present tense. And there's a lot of times that the enemy comes to us and those moments of confusion and discouragement and despondency and maybe even depression. And he doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. He, he doesn't let you, he, he doesn't let you have a break when you're down. No, he, he kicks us when we're down. And it's those moments where he inserts doubts and uh, struggles. And I, I do believe in the reality of Satan and the enemy. He's more than just a character. He's more than just a, a tool to teach morals. I do believe there's an enemy because that's what the Bible teaches. I do believe there's demons. That's what the Bible teaches. And I think we would do well to recognize it without looking for a demon under every rock. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I think we have to be aware that God still works in the fullness of time and Jesus's responses to those temptations were what we used to form and hopefully live in a a recognition of that fullness, of leaning into the promises of God, of waiting on the timing of God, of allowing to God provide for our needs according to his riches and glory, to rest in the provision and the promises of God, to, to gladly exist in the fullness of time that God still sovereignly provides. So yeah, man, it was it was a bit of a challenging sermon, both to preach and probably to to hear and to listen to. We got a lot of people that are struggling in our church. And yet at the same time, we should take a great joy, no matter the circumstances, because God still to this day works within the scope of the fullness of time today as he did back then. So we tied those two concepts together and uh, we really did, I I hope, celebrate uh, Christ's work in the present tense, which really leads us to live joyfully uh, within the plan of, of God's fullness in the present tense. Amen. So obviously the temptation that we really hit upon, or rather you hit upon, and especially in this Christmas season, is this materialism, ritualism. You've talked about that. And you hit another aspect that actually feeds into the next question I'm going to ask about spiritual warfare. The Satan, uh, Satan is very much alive and well. Uh, you know, it says that he is roaming the earth like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. There are demons that... They their whole goal is to find our weaknesses and use them, and uh, and for us to sin, to not know the goodness of God, that kind of thing. All these different things, and um, so spiritual warfare often gets neglected, especially in certain circles. Um, certainly, certain um, Baptist circles will neglect. The, the element of spiritual warfare for the sake of people getting freaked out. And there, there's this running theme that 
at certain times in the year that have been characterized as sacred holidays, Christmas, Easter, Palm Sunday, that kind of thing, that spiritual warfare just kind of goes away. And it's non-existent because somehow this day is more holy than other days. And so if you could speak a little bit about spiritual warfare and how it not only is present during the Christmas season, but it actually ramps up significantly. Yeah, I I do think you, you hear less and less about uh, the enemy and demonic activity and, and Satan during the Christmas season. It's a time of revelry. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. There's parties, there's food, there's get togethers, there's those kinds of things. And, you know, you don't want to be a downer and talk about the enemy. Why? Well, I do think then again, without over spiritualizing things, uh, looking, you know, for a trick or a temptation, you know, in around every corner, you know, you don't want to live paranoid. And yet you want to be wise and discerning at the same time. And perhaps that's that's kind of where the uh, the real attacks are. You know, you look at the actual temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus. They weren't over inflammatory, hey, you know, find the next person and stab them, right? You know, it wasn't like break these commandments. They it was more of a subtle attack. It, they they were temptations not towards the extreme, but they were temptations about, you know, the timeline of God. You think about Satan being the prince of the power of the air and offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Well, the kingdoms of the world are Christ's and will be certainly his in a uh, more profound sense in the end times. And it was more just about the, the timing of God. You think about, you know, throwing himself off the pinnacle and uh, allowing the angels, you know, to, to guard him. Well, again, it's about doubting the promises of God, about putting him to the test. It's, it's about, you know, if you're really his son, you know, and, and providing that, uh, that just subtle degradation of the foundation of God's word that we should hold on to. It's about, you know, turning these these rocks into bread. Again, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it was God's will to have Jesus out fasting. And it was uh, about pushing back against his plan and the boundaries that the Lord provides. So again, they're, they're sinister. They're, they're, it's not out in the open. They're, uh, that, that, that's why we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have to recognize these kinds of temptations. And again, we, we already mentioned it. I think the enemy is perfectly okay with us celebrating around Jesus, using you know, his birth as an occasion for, for revelry without sharing the gospel without being worshipful, without there being heart and a blessed motivation behind the things that we are doing and truly celebrating the goodness of God and counting our blessings and and taking great joy in giving gifts. Uh, I think the enemy is perfectly okay with our religious rituals that are heartless and meaningless. I, and I think that's where a lot of his work is I, I I'll say this, uh, then I'll turn it back over to you. Um, 
Jesus here in our passage in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, shows himself to be the faithful firstborn son uh, of God, right? He's the faithful son. And there's correlations, there's parallels between Jesus and the unfaithful firstborn son that is the nation of Israel, that was the nation of Israel. Old Testament Israel was called God's firstborn son in Exodus 4. They came out of Egypt through the Red Sea and were tested for 40 years. Well, Jesus himself came out of Egypt, that's Matthew 2, 15, was baptized in the Jordan, came through the water, and was in the wilderness for 40 days. And where the other son, the Old Testament son, the firstborn son of Israel, failed, Jesus succeeded. Where they were fickle, Jesus was faithful. He came through. And even his references uh, pushing back against the enemy's attack were from Deuteronomy, either chapter six or chapter eight, which has to do with the wilderness wanderings, which even serves to strengthen those ties between uh, the correlation between Jesus and Old Testament Israel. Well, you think about Old Testament Israel, they're in the, the, the wilderness, right? They're traveling through and God is providing for them. Food is literally dropping from the sky, right? And instead of recognizing, look, get, this is God providing for us, leading us by this pillar of fire, right? Providing for us manna each and every day, just enough to, to allow us to survive. It's miraculous. It's incredible. What do they do? They start to look back and they say, oh man, back, back, we had a lot better food back in Egypt, right? Choosing to go back, wanting to go back into slavery for the sake of their, their food, for the sake of what they once had. And I, I think that's, that is in a spiritual sense, kind of what the enemy does with us today. God provides, God gives, God, God restores, God, God drops his blessings from glory. Well, if they don't drop in the way we want, we might look back to a former life and find ourselves back in a proverbial spiritual Egypt, choosing to live how we once lived, forsaking the goodness of God in the present tense. I, and I, I think those are some of the ways that the enemy is, is devious and good at his job. Good, he's the best devil they got. And we uh, want to be aware of that that he can use even, uh, even the moments where God is providing. See, he's not providing in the way you want. Therefore, he doesn't care about you. You better turn around and go back where indeed God has what's best for you in mind. God loves you enough to give you what you need every time instead of what you want all the time. And the enemy's devious, man. So uh, I think he works in much the same way, and we can learn that from Jesus's uh, victories in the wilderness, if you will, uh, and we can experience the same kind in the present tense. Excellent. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. They're, it, they're just not flashy, you know, like we think they are. It's so subtle. And uh, that's why the Bible consistently tells us that we need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard. We need to be in tune with the word and have that, that word illuminated by the spirit, be deep in prayer every day, be intentional about uh, our walk with Christ. I so can affirm it's not flashy. You know, Jesus, when he pushed back against that, that third temptation, uh, where Satan offers him the, the kingdoms of the world and he 
he said, no, you know, he, he's going to walk through being faithful to the father. He's going to come through on the redemptive mission of God. And it's that everyday faithfulness that he's emphasizing. It's not always going to be flashy. It's not always going to be big. It's not always going to be quote unquote impactful, but it's, it's that everyday faithfulness to God in the small things that, that really are going to just ignite that fire of faithfulness within our hearts to really lean into on a Tuesday afternoon. How, how can I be a faithful follower of Christ getting off work and going home? How can I be a, a faithful follower of Christ on my lunch break? How can I be a faithful follower of Jesus as I'm, as I'm going to the grocery store? It's those seemingly mundane moments that I think that the enemy can work in, but also that we can find great success and great joy in of living for Christ in the small things. And that's really, I think, where, where the rubber meets the road. And I think Jesus emphasized that, and we would do well to see it here. Uh, through Jesus's triumph in that third temptation, that it's not flashy. It's not always big. It's not always exciting. And uh, I think the enemy can use that to say, see, you know, you thought this was all going to be mountaintop, great, you know, emotional experience. No, just when I'm going to Walmart, I'm going to faithfully follow Jesus as I walk down this aisle. Man, that's, that's pushing back. That's victory. That's triumph for the glory of God. And we would do well to recognize that. Yeah, that's our worshipful service, our sacrificial response to the goodness of God. And I believe it was Tozer that said that if you don't worship seven days of the week, then you don't worship on one day of the week. So what a, a sobering reminder. And uh, there are certain elements of uh, the Christmas season that in and of themselves are fantastic. They're really good, but they unfortunately can be either exercised lackadaisically or used as excuses. And so these are kind of some of my pet peeves. And I say they're my pet peeves because I have done them before. And if I'm not careful and if I don't intentionally ground myself in the word and in prayer, then it they will inevitably happen again. So I've already mentioned the first one. Uh, that I think that Satan really tries to to tempt us to do, and, and especially in the worship leading community, is the show performance aspect of Christmas. Hey, we got to be better than the guys down the street. We got to sing better. We got to have a bigger choir. We got to have a bigger orchestra. We got to have all these powerhouse songs that blow the doors off everybody. We got to draw a crowd in. We got to do this, got to do that. And the gospel is neglected. There's no proclamation of the word. It's all about how well somebody can sing, how how much sound is coming out of the speaker versus is God being glorified? Is there also a time where the congregation sings with you? Because if this is a worship service, then congregationally you're going to sing. The other one is this, and it feeds right into congregational singing, Christmas carols. Christmas carols, if we are not careful, can be the most mundane, boring things ever. In the same sense of singing the same songs over and over and over again kind of produces this lackluster approach to worship if we're not careful. In the same sense, Christmas carols, we just tend you know, to just, okay, we're going to sing them because we've sung them since I was old enough to sing, right? Instead of listening 
and understanding the words. Why are we singing these? What are they actually telling about? Along with that, I would caution people to uh, not sing songs because they make you feel some emotional way from your childhood or some kind of emotional experience. Hey, I sing this song because of this or because my grandma sang it or because this thing or this, this is while that is fine, good and dandy. When we're in the worship service, your whole thing, my whole thing, my whole intention, my whole focus is not only to reflect on God, to but to sing to him and to minister to the people around me through those songs. And so when we're singing, we need to be intentional about not only having these words be Christ-centered and not only singing them to the glory of God, but when we are thinking about them, Christ should be at the forefront of our minds, not anything else. We should think about ourselves, think about the the, the way that God has changed us. I, I was uh, listening to or heard Hark the Herald, the Angels Sing, you know, the, the other day. And um, man, it really spoke to me in this, the, the line that says, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's not just a line we're saying. That's not just a, a trite lyric. Dude, that's us. That's me. I'm a twice born person. Man, I, I am a born again child of God. Should give us a moment to pause as we sing that and say, man, that is something that we should sing about. And it should give life to the lyrics that we reflect on the goodness of God in them. So, man, I hear you on the pet peeves. How can we how can we have a pet peeve in the positive way? Well, we can say, okay, don't lifelessly sing the lyrics, but man, insert the work of God personally in your life to where you sing about that second birth and hark the herald angels sing. Man, it moves you because it reminds you of the goodness of God. Pet peeves, man, I can amen them and I can affirm them, but we can also say, all right, how can we push back again? What what we do to annoy Braylon, and uh, they they can be uh, good gifts, man, in a, in a real true sense. So uh, so I hear you. Watch out, people. Watch out, man. If you're lifelessly singing this Sunday, Braylon will get you. I'm just gonna stare you down the whole time. No, seriously. I mean, for a long time that I, I would just sing, and you, everybody for whatever reason thinks that the people up on the platform are the most spiritual people in the room, and that's not the case, right? We are all as you say, sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we, every single time we step on the platform, come into the sanctuary, we need God's grace and we need to reflect on his grace and we need to thank him for his grace. And um, there were times certainly in, in a lot of me leading worship where these hymns were, or these carols rather were, just sung out of obligation. That should never be the case again. And so that's a pet peeve, not only for myself, but I, for others as well, right? That you would be encouraged and not just taken aback and be like, oh, dang, well, Braylon's just throwing down right now, trying to to make me feel bad. No, I'm, I am speaking from my own experience, my own conviction. And I believe the Lord is most honored when we are intentional about our congregational worship, regardless of the song. I have two left for you. You ready? Maybe. Two pet peeves left? 
two pet peeves. Dang. All right. Hey, man. Let let it rip. I two guess. left. Two left. The this is the the second to last one. Giving gifts without being intentional. Giving gifts without being intentional. So, you said uh, you had a, a sermon a couple of weeks back about the lepers, and over and over again you have stressed this phrase that we often, when we are looking at Jesus, we will accept his gifts, but we'll focus more on the gifts than the gift giver. And so while it is fine and dandy for people to tell you what they want for Christmas, there still has to be this intentionality when you are giving gifts to people. I can just, yeah, I I can just see in the worst case scenario. Again, man, if you use an app, to tell your family what you want for Christmas and they're going to get that for you. You know, I'm not mad at you. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible sinful thing, but I do think it kind of takes some of the, some of the aspects of uh, the heart behind the, the gifting away. Uh, again, you know, some people are hard to buy for, you know, what, what do you buy for the, the person that has everything? Well, nothing. (laughs) really honestly uh so when we do that i think some aspects of that if we're not careful can be transferred to our our perspective of the gifts that god provides that it's about the gift itself and because we are so used to getting and giving gifts with no meaning and no heart behind it because we tell people what we want. And it's not about somebody recognizing our needs or somebody wanting to express their love and care or the fact that they've been listening or that they see this this need in our lives or they see something that just reminds us uh, of, of that person. Hey, I got you this for this reason. And then there's a heart and a love and a care and a compassion and a, a true connectivity behind the gift. You know, it it's devolved into a list and I get what's on my list. I do think if we're not careful, that perspective of, of gift giving can be transferred to God. Well, I have this list, God give me my list, and it's about the gift itself. It's not about the motivation. It's not about the love. It's not about the connectivity behind the gift that matters. It's about that material thing that I have in my hand. Like with the lepers, it was about the healing, not the love and the motivation of the Savior King. Uh, that that was behind that healing. Now, would I be excited if I had leprosy and was miraculously healed? Well, yes, uh, I would be. But man, we should at the same time slow down and say that that was the miraculous King and Lord over the universe. That He just showed power over this 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 world, and He expressed that to me. There's incredible power and love behind that act. I mean, I should go back and be thankful and worship him like that that one guy did. So I think if we're not careful, we can transfer this kind of contemporary perspective on gift giving to God, and it becomes more about what we get rather than that that divine love that's behind the blessings that he bestows upon us because he does bestow so much. So, man, that that then would take away some of the worship that would follow. So we we should, I think, be aware of that, be careful and focus on the gift giver um, more than the gift itself. And uh, I do think modern gift giving uh, is is a 
a danger to that perspective when it comes to God and the worst case scenario. Agreed. Yeah. Being intentional about this gift. Yes, they might have told you in full disclosure that the uh, Becca side of the family this year is we're using an app, the Gifster app, right, where people can go and do that. And and to be intentional about, oh, yes, uh, you know, we'll check something off. But are we going to are we when we buy something for somebody else, when we want to give something to them? Is it just because this is an obligation or do you get excited when you want to give that gift? Like, for instance, my dad went to a Cracker Barrel and he already knows he's going to get this. So he picked it out. Don't worry. But he is getting a hat. He loves hats. Um, He loves Stetson hats. He loves um, we call them the pop pop hats. Well, there's this one kind of uh, mid, not not so much a fedora, but a different kind of um cattleman hat that he liked. And uh, I said, all right, that's going to be your Christmas present. I'm so excited to give that to him. Why? Because he went and tried it on in the bathroom to make sure that it, it one fit him, but two, that he looked good in it. He was so excited about it. So to pick something and to give a gift that yes, they might have picked out, but they're excited about and to and to have that heart behind it besides, okay, well, I'm just going to give this gift to you so you can shut up now. Instead of doing that and saying, hey, look, I want to see the joy on your face when you open this present. That is really the intention behind the whole Christmas season. Here's the last one. And, and I think we're all can be guilty of this when we are tired or when certain things happen. It, you know, the Christmas season is a time where a lot of people do get time off um, is just checking out and gliding through the Christmas season, checking out and gliding through the Christmas season. Yeah. I'll go to all the events. Yeah. I might even go to church. Um, I'll, you know, whatever I'll buy some stuff, but I'm really just checking out. There's no brain function going on. I'm take I'm checking out. I'm taking a break. This is my time to relax instead of being intentional, not only about reflecting on who God is, but to be intentional about your family too. This is a time that is divinely orchestrated where you guys have extended time, quality time. And so why not make the most of it instead of just all right, we're here in the same room, but I'm going to play on my phone. You're going to play on your phone. And, uh, you know, if I talk to you a little bit, then that's fine with me. So this Christmas needs to be intentional. We need to have intentionality. And I really think that as we reflect upon not just um, these, you know, seeming pet peeves or things that we can fall into, these temptations with the mundane carols being just half-hearted when it comes to gift giving and not really being intentional in that way. And then just kind of checking out because of being tired or for whatever reason and not investing in our families or investing in the people around us for the glory of God. Those are all things that, that we need to recognize and we need to be intentional about not doing because the Christmas season should be a time of joy And the whole reason that there is joy in the Christmas season is because Christ came. That's the whole reason that we celebrate. That's the whole 
reason that we have joy, true joy in our life. And so as we were reflecting on this, let's from here on out, those that are listening and myself and you included, I want to be more intentional about the Christmas season. I want to be more intentional with my family. I want to be more intentional about singing. I want to be more intentional about my gift giving, not just checking a box off, but saying, hey, look, they're really going to enjoy this. I really want to see the joy on their face. Be more intentional about my kid and my future kid that's going to be here in January, right? Be more intentional about that. But another uh, final aspect, be more intentional about praying for those around us. I know I have a lot of pet peeves. Please, all of you listening, do not write nasty reviews saying, Braylon, you're a terrible person. Because I, I, at one point, I have done all of these. And if I'm not careful, I'll do them again. And um, that's not what Christ has called us for, too. And uh, that is certainly not what the Christmas season is all about. I appreciate you being transparent, man. And that's, and I've said it before, a passionate preacher has already preached. When you see a passionate preacher, it's because he's already preached that sermon to himself. It's, it's already landed in his heart and he wants you to experience the same conviction that the same desire, uh, for the word that he has. And I, I, I picked that up from you and your transparency that it's, it's because you've struggled with these things that, that you're passionate about them, that they're your pet peeves, that it's something for you to, to work through and uh, you're podcasting to yourself essentially. And thanks for letting us eavesdrop because they are struggles we all have. And um, yeah, just to be intentionally worshipful, uh, to take advantage of, of an Advent perspective of having a moment, having a moment each day um, where we're, we're truly slowing down, I think is, is so beneficial. So um, yeah, man, I'm with you. I hear you. I think you're spot on. And uh, I hope our Christmas is different. Again, that's the whole point of the adventure, to be different, for it to be out of that materialism, out of that ritualism and celebrating Jesus himself not just truths about him or taking that uh, occasion uh, of his birth to celebrate apart from him. So yeah, I hope we have a joy-filled, wonderful Christmas and uh, that it's filled uh, with Jesus. Amen. This has been Rooted by the River podcast, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. We are on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our website, at fbcsavannah.com. Make sure that you are liking, subscribing, following, sharing, reviewing, rating. There's a lot of things you can be doing in response to the podcast. We would encourage you to just share with a friend and uh, let us know what we're doing well, what we can work on. And uh, again, this Christmas season, may it be a blessed time of reflecting upon Christ and His coming and uh, his continual presence in your life. And uh, I pray that, as well as Andrew prays, that you would have a fruitful time with family and friends uh, and uh, ultimately Christ would receive glory in it all. This has been Rooted by the River Podcast. We will see you next time.